Amen. You may be seated. And you guys can just sit down anytime. You know, you don't have to. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20. And I do love you. I especially love Charlie Conigan for taking care of that snow. Matthew 9, 20. Behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch this garment, I will be made well. And Jesus turned in real life, okay, real first century, real person, real woman, turned to her, seeing her, said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. This is God's word, and it's going to be a weird one. So weird. You're bu- I've been telling people this a lot about um, Terry Ballard. So however uh, goofy you think Terry Ballard is, multiply it by a hundred. Okay? And however weird you think your Bible is, multiply that by a million. It is so weird, this whole thing. Okay? The main point of of this next section uh, of Matthew after uh, last week's little bit can be summed up like this, is Jesus, the Messiah and anointed son of David, is merciful and he has power over the forces of death. Okay? Jesus is merciful and he has power over the forces of death. And this point is made through Jesus uh, healing and purifying a daughter of Israel who's in a perpetual state of ritual impurity due to her flow. Healing and purifying a daughter of Israel who's in a state of of perpetual impurity due to her being dead. That's also in this story. Healing and purifying a son of Israel who's in a perpetual state of ritual impurity due to being possessed by a demon. And then all of these things are understood and explained as actions that the Messiah will take as the blind man called to him as the son of David. Okay, so we've got four stories today. I just read one um, for time, but we're going to get to all of those. Okay, Jairus' daughter who dies, this woman, the demon-possessed man, and then the, the blind man. Okay, so pretty simple outline to understand this, but it's a complex background, especially if you heard me say ritual impurity three times. Okay, Gentiles hear that and go, what are you talking about? Okay, I thought that these were simple stories about healing and faith. And these are simple stories about healing and faith, right? People need healed and Jesus heals them according to their faith. That, Amen, let's stand, do communion, you know what I mean? Like that, obviously that's going on. But um, I think that underlying all of these simple stories about Jesus healing and, 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 and people believing Jesus can heal is a bigger picture about who Jesus is and what God's plans are for the whole world, okay? So in the beginning... Genesis 1, God wants to dwell with man, right? And God does dwell with man, walks with Adam in the cool of the day, sends Adam a bunch of animals and says, Adam, name these things. And Adam is like, boom, 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 boom. And then he gets bored at the end and is like, dog, right? What's that one doing? That one's eating the ants. Ant eater, okay? That's not my joke, but 
You get the story, okay? God's dwelling with man in the beginning. Like, this is how we want things to be. In the temple of Eden, God dwells with man. But man turns, rebels against God, and so we don't have God dwelling with man uh, anymore. And Adam's crew gets the boot, in mercy, gets the boot out of God's Eden temple. Fast forward in the story, we get the election and God's choosing of Israel and his rescue of Israel. And God still wants to do what? He still wants to dwell with his people. Okay, like the, the story never changes. Okay, the, the Genesis 1 is the ideal. It is the goal. And so God wants to dwell with his people. So Moses goes up on Sinai, comes down from Sinai with what? Instructions for what? A tabernacle. An instruction for how God is going to dwell with man on the earth. Like it was in Genesis, but not quite as good. Okay, and then that story moves on. We get Solomon. We get the temple where God dwells with Man, okay? So, with these stories about and, and these locations where God wants to dwell with sinful human beings, all right, descendants of, of Adam, right, and, and infected with Adam's guilt and Adam's sin, uh, there's rules, okay? There, there's rules, which means that we're going to talk about Leviticus and Numbers. And you're so glad you braved the snow to talk about Leviticus and, and Numbers, right? Which is just a bunch of rules, right? You, you guys are reading your Bible plan this year. Genesis was so fun, most of it. Exodus, the first half was really fun. And then the second half of Exodus, they're talking about how to sow, right? And you're like, oh... When does Jesus show up? You know what I mean? And then you, if you read past that, you get to Leviticus. And you're like, oh. You know, like this is what it is. So just want to give you a, a simple framework for these laws and these rules and why God does this. These rules are for how pe- God's people are to approach God safely. Okay? These, these rules exist for the benefit of God's people. All right? They're not mean rules. They're not arbitrary rules, though... Most of the laws, not most of them, some of the laws in Leviticus, like even rabbis look at them and go, yeah, we don't know. We don't know what God has against rock badgers, but they're unclean for some some reason. In, in all of these rules, God is looking out for Israel. Why? God wants wants to dwell with Israel. He wants to be with them in, in the same proximity. And so I think it's helpful to think about these, these rules and these laws as it, it's helpful to think about God as nuclear energy, okay? There's nothing better than nuclear energy in the right context, right? In the wrong context, it's very bad, okay? Very, very um, dangerous in the, in the right context is the greatest thing ever, right? And, and, you know, you go green, go clean, people. You should be pro-nuclear because we don't have to cover beautiful mountain ranges and ugly solar panels and cover beautiful plains and, and uh, helicopters, spinny things, okay? <laughs> Those are ugly. Nuclear would be... Anyway, that's another thing. All right? So if you treat nuclear energy wrongly, if you don't approach it in the right way, okay, Scott, OSHA, um, you know, they've got stuff. If you don't wear the hazmat suit, if you don't go through the airlocks and do the whole thing, and you enter and and get close to nuclear energy, what happens? You die, right? A a, a violent, slow death in that regard. So uh, Uzzah, they're, they're carrying the ark, and Uzzah leans out and touches the ark. What happens to Uzzah? Dead. Okay, instantly dead. He approached the holy thing in the wrong way. Uh, Aaron's sons, Nahab and Abihu, they offer up the wrong kind of fire to sacrifice to God. What happens to them? Dead. Instantly. They, they didn't follow the rules. They didn't put on the hazmat suit. They didn't walk through the airlock. So the instructions that God gives Israel for how they are to approach him, it, 
they're they're compassionate one okay it is compassionate and kind and loving to say hey put this suit on before you go mess with the nuclear reactor okay put you know astronaut don't let the airlock go off here or you will die it's compassionate and it's for their good and so what god is doing here is he's making a distinction between what is holy and what is uh profane okay those because they're different um, God is holy, God is set apart, God is distinct from everything, right? Everything else in the world, every every person, everything is created, God is what? He's uncreated, right? No one made God. It's the first question kids ask in Sunday school. Well, who made God? You know what I mean? No one did. He's, he's holy, he's set apart, he's other than. Everything else in the world, then, is profane. Which, in English, profane is bad, right? If like, that movie was profane... Well, that's not what it means in the Bible. It just means common. It just means normal. So in the Bible, uh, the Sabbath is holy, right? It's set apart. Saturday, that is holy. Tuesday is profane. Is there anything wrong with Tuesday? I personally like Tuesdays. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's not a Monday, you know, but it's Tuesday. There's nothing wrong with it. It's just not Saturday. It's just uh, the temple is, is um, holy. It's set apart. Your house is profane. Nothing wrong with your house. It's just common. It's just not um, holy. So in, in the rules God has set up, if what is holy is treated as common, if those things mix, what happens? There's an explosion. Okay, things are bad. Either that person dies, or if that happens enough times with, with, with enough uh, intensity and purposeness on the side of the people, God leaves. Okay, Ezekiel 10, God leaves the temple because they filled it up with things that are unholy. They filled it up with things that are common in the... Pl- anyway... Our Bible's way weirder than you think, okay? So that's first, holy and unholy. Holy and profane, holy and common. Second, God is pure, and everything else is what? Impure, okay? God is clean. Everything else is um, unclean. And, and they're considered, there's two ways to be in unclean or, or impure, okay? So first is morally impure, and we understand that well as Gentiles, right? That just makes a lot of sense to us. So uh, moral impurity is sinful, Moral impurity is avoidable, okay? You choose to kill someone. You, you choose to lie. You choose to cheat. You choose to do these things. Moral impurities from an action, something you did. Moral impurity, praise God, is non-communicable. You can't catch it, okay? Like, it's not something like I brush by someone who's morally impure, and I'm like, oh, it's on me. That's not how it works. It's, it, thank God. Uh, you, you deal with moral impurity in the scriptures through atonement or punishment. Okay, Someone's morally impure and they just keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. They're cut off from the people of Israel. Okay, Church discipline in the New Testament. Same, same deal. And then anything that is morally impure is an abomination. Okay, That's how God describes it. So moral impurity is a real problem. If it's not dealt with through God's prescribed ways, atonement or Cut off, um, people die or God leaves. He's not going to mix what is pure and impure. He's just not going to do it. But there's a second type of impurity that we don't understand as Gentiles at all, is that's ritual impurity, okay? And of the two ways that humans are impure, this one's not as bad, okay? So ritual impurity in Leviticus is unavoidable, okay? It's unavoidable. You didn't do anything wrong, you just... Whatever you touched, okay? It comes from natural substances. Uh, it is communicable. And I know we're like, you know, two years into the COVID thing, and that's all we think, you know, like, don't touch me. Stay away from me. That's how ritual impurity works. And you deal with ritual impurity not through atonement, but through a bath. 
Much easier, right? Not, not as big of a deal. It's not an abomination. It's not sinful, okay? Ritual impurity is not sinful. So if you had a baby last night, you're not ritually impure. I mean, you're not, you're, you're not, you didn't sin, okay? Uh, if you made a baby last night, you're considered ritually impure, but you didn't sin unless, you know, who you made the baby with is not your spouse. Then we're back into the moral, moral category. But you see what I mean? Like... It's bodily fluids, bodily substances that make you ritually impure, but not morally impure. They're they're different um, things. And so if you want to approach God in the temple, okay, you need to be cleansed. If you're ritually impure, you got to take a bath or sometimes they use ashes and some mixture of blood. And it's so weird. Okay, read Leviticus. Just open it up. Lord. Anyway, read it. So you're reading Leviticus and it brings up the question, right? Reading Leviticus, you're reading numbers and you're just... If you're actually reading it, you're just going, why? Why is this in here? God, why in your infinite wisdom did you think this would be necessary to help these people trust and and follow you? Why does God care about this? Okay, I'm trying to do my devotions. Why am I reading about semen and corpses? You know what I mean? Get my coffee out, Bible open. This is what greets me. You know what I mean? So odd. Um, So why does God care about these things and why why are they considered ritually impure Here's why. In Leviticus 12 through 15 and Numbers 19, the three major sources of ritual impurity are corpses, okay? Gross, okay? Lepra and genital discharges of blood or semen. What do all of these things share in common? Well, they all represent death. All of these things represent that menace that was brought into the world through sin. So the corpse, obviously, that's a dead body. Like, obviously, that represents death. The one suffering from lepra looks like a dead body, right? So Moses and Aaron are, are, are I mean, uh, Miriam and Aaron are arguing and, and trying to, to, they're being real mean to Moses. Moses is trying to do the right thing, and they're being mean. And God strikes Miriam with lepra, and what happens? Her hand is is. Skin starts falling off. It looks white and gross. It looks like death. So that's corpses, lepra. And then those who experience a genital discharge, they suffer the loss of life force that's contained in whatever comes out. Okay. So in Jewish and non-Jewish thinking and other, other cultures around the time, they have purity codes too. And we have purity codes too, right? Like we've got – we're supposed to have <laughs> – <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's a, there's clean and unclean. And, um, but in this culture and what God's doing in Leviticus and what God's showing in Leviticus is ritual impurities represent the forces of death. And God is the God of the living, not of the dead, Jesus says. And he's not going to mix the forces of death with his dwelling of life, which is how things will be. Right in the in the age to come. So what we see in in the text today is that when Jesus meets someone who's infected with ritual impurity, he removes not just their impurity, but the source of that impurity, the force of death in that person and removes it from their body. Right. He himself is holy and he drives out what is common. He himself is pure and he drives out what is impure. Jesus is Mark 124. He is the holy one of God. And when his holiness touches what is common or profane or unholy, he drives it away. So it's like Jesus carries within himself a, like a contagious power of holiness, right? He's contagious. You can catch him, right? You can catch holiness just like you can catch these other things. And his contagious holiness overwhelms and removes the forces of impurity, the forces of death. Does that make sense? Sorry, guys. We're just going through the Bible. 
she's got an issue of blood. I have to go look up what's an issue of blood. This is what you get. All right. So what's going on? Jesus is opposed to the existence of ritual impurity because God wants to dwell with man. And Jesus wants to heal those suffering from a condition that results in that impurity. So behold, a woman who had suffered a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and she touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to himself, if I only touch his garment, I'll be made well. And Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. So think about this woman. Okay, she's a a daughter of Israel. She is ritually impure forever. Right. Perpetually. It's not like the other thing where you just take a bath and you're good. Forever, she's like this. If this was normal, a normal flow, all she'd have to do is wait for it to stop, do the proper washing, and in a week, she can approach God in the temple. No problem. She didn't do anything wrong. Nothing sinful about this. She can approach God. But this is not a normal one, okay? And if she goes into the temple... Or if anyone she's touched, or, or anyone who touches something that she's t- Like, if she came in here, sat down, I didn't know it, I sat down, guess who now is impure? Me. I can't approach God in the temple. What happens if I don't know when I approach God in the temple? Dead. Right? Like, it's... <laughs> That's what's going on. So Leviticus 15.31, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, from their impurity, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that's in their midst. So she knows this. And for 12 years, she's tried to become clean. Okay, You read Mark's account of this story. She spent all of her money giving it to all the doctors, trying to get well, trying to get clean, because she wants to approach God. And she just wants to feel good. I don't want to disregard the actual sickness involved here. For 12 years, though, she was able to go to the temple, which is an absolute joy. Okay, Psalm 84, 10, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Okay, he's not talking about heaven. What's David the psalmist talking about? The temple. Better is one day here with you than anywhere else. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God. What's the house of God? The temple. What did Jesus say? My father's house is the temple. I'd rather be a doorkeeper here than, than in the tents. Of the wicked. So she longs to go to the temple, longs to participate in worship, the sacrifices, the, the festivals, yet because of her issue, she's not able to do so. And so, in her desperation, 12 years of this, she goes into the crowd, and again, she's got to be touching people, so this is a big deal, and thinks, if I can just touch his garment. I've heard about this Jesus of Nazareth, I've heard how he's walking around and healing people and raising the dead and walking on water and you know, multiplying loaves. If I can just touch his garment. And she does. And what happens? She reaches out, touches his garments. Well, you would expect that the forces of death, the things that are causing her ritual impurity, would transfer to Jesus, making him ritually impure as well. Right? That's how it works. Is you can catch this stuff. All right? You can catch it. But what happens instead, you read it from Mark, she touched his garment and immediately the flow of blood dried up. She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. So 12 years, like that's, that's so long. That's so long. I know when you're a kid, like an hour is the longest thing in the world and you get older, time moves faster. 12 years is still long. I don't care who you are. 12 years she's had this, and now in an instant, instantly, dried up, healed, and she knew it then. She knew it right then, like, oh, something happened like electricity when I touched his garment. Verse 30, and then Jesus, and this is, I don't understand this. Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out of him, like accidentally. (laughs) 
You know what? Like Jesus didn't turn, look at her, lay hands on her, and he's walking this way in power, like shoots out of him, like he's contagious with the forces of life and holiness. And so instead of a defiling force of death moving from this body to this body, Mark portrays a purifying force of power moving from Jesus to the woman. Okay, The woman's touch does not make Jesus unclean. Jesus' touch makes the woman clean. That's what happened. And if you like that line, it came from Stony Faith. Okay. That's what happened here. And, and, and this is, it's, it's, again, it's involuntary from Jesus. Power goes out of him, and he's like, hold up. What happened? Who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you serious? We're in this great crowd. Everybody's touching you. Everybody's all up on you. And so immediately he turned about and says, who touched my garments? And he looked around to see who had done it. Like, he doesn't know. Like, okay. I felt it. Who did it? But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, because she instantly knew, uh, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Told him the whole bit. Hey, 12 years. I'm out of money. Okay? I, I haven't been able to, to go and enjoy the temple and worship God with the people of God. For 12 years, I've wanted to be healed. And I thought, if I could just get close to you, if I could just touch your garment, I know it's a risk. Because it might make you impure and all these other people, but it's a risk I was willing to take. That's what happened. And he said to her, after she explains this to him, he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I know if you just read that as like a, a Sunday school story, it's like whatever. But like, put yourself in that woman's <laughs> 12 years. I've wanted, and I know we have, we have this in our, our congregation. People want to be healed. And here he, he does it. Jesus is the Holy One of God in Mark 1. A force of holiness that opposes the forces of impurity and the forces of death. And now this woman can do what? She can obey Leviticus 15. But if she's cleansed of her discharge, she shall count for herself seven days. And after that, she shall be clean. So you know what she did eight days after this? She went to the temple and she sang Psalm 84. Oh, better is one day in your courts, God, than thousands elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper here than dwell in the tents of the wicked. She did that and she was clean. And, and Jesus undoes the forces of death. Okay, not just cleanse her impurity, but the thing that actually, the force, the thing that made her impure. And he does the next thing, same thing in the next story. Okay, Jairus comes and says, my daughter's just died. Come and lay your hand on her. So Jesus, Holy One of God, come and touch this unclean corpse, right? Just like the woman is unclean, this, this child is unclean and she will live. And so Jesus goes in and takes her by the hand. What is holy touches what is common. And the girl arose. She rose from the dead. Now, I am so sympathetic to the woman's story, but this one, I, I just have nieces, and I can't imagine this. I, once again, the impurity and the unholiness is not transferred to Jesus. His purity and his holiness and his power is transferred to the young girl. He has power over the forces of death. He has power over what makes people... Unclean. Same thing with the demons, okay? So outside of, of hemorrhages and lepra and corpses, there's a different type of impurity, and that's spiritual or demonic impurity, okay? They don't talk about it in Leviticus. You don't, it doesn't get picked up till later in the prophet Zechariah 13, 2. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, hallelujah, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land. What do idols represent? Demons. Right. We're not just, you know, if this were an idol, we're not actually worshiping this. They'd be worshiping the demon that's behind it. 
Baal or Marduk or whatever. Or money or what you know. What I mean? <laughs> I'm going to cut off the idols from the land in that day so that they will be remembered no more. And also I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Okay, So demons represent this impurity and this uncleanness. And so you go to the Gospels and what is Jesus doing? And what are the disciples doing? They're casting out unclean spirits, impure spirits. As they were going away, behold, a demon-possessed man who was mute was brought out to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. Again, easy little story, but imagine if you were mute and you hear this story. So again, the force of life in Jesus overwhelms, overtakes, and drives out the forces of death that had tormented this man. And and this is just like what the prophet said, okay? Just like what the prophet said, when the Messiah comes, when the son of David comes, the mute will not only speak, the mute will sing, Isaiah 35, the eyes of the blind will be open, the ears of the deaf unstop, and then the lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. Oh my gosh, guys, we long for that day so much. My, uh, you guys know Carl Pedigo, right? Everyone know, know Carl? My dad, I just talked to him yesterday. Um, Carl is going to outrun all of us in the age to come. You know, I'm praying he outruns us now, but he's getting kind of old, you know. But in the age to come, like, Carl's going to be <laughs> looking back at us going, you slow pokes. You had 80 years to do this. I'm just getting started. Like, the lame will, will leap, the mute will sing, the blind will see. Have you seen pictures? Have you seen the videos of the people who are colorblind their whole life? And then they get those corrective glasses and they see color for the first time and they start to weep. Oh my gosh, Maranatha, come Lord, like we want this day to come. And, and Jesus here is giving a down payment and a deposit of that day. Okay, I'm healing this guy right here. So, you know, that, that day will come. And uh, next story, he makes the same point. Okay, Jesus passed on from there Two blind men followed him crying aloud. Have mercy on us who son of David, the Messiah, the one who's prophesied to do all of this lame leaping and blind singing and mute, uh, uh, mute singing, blind sing. I guess you could do both. Okay. Doing all that stuff. Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him and Jesus said to him, do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. So recognizing this is who this is. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Same thing. Jesus has power over the forces of, of death. Okay? Now, after this, and I'm just food for thought, after this, Jesus says, don't tell anyone, and they go tell everyone. I don't know if we should commend them for that or not commend them for disobeying Jesus, but you take that home. Okay? He, he has power over the forces of death. He has power over the things that make the, the people ritually impure. All of these stories make that clear, right? He heals this woman. He heals that daughter. He heals the blind. He heals the mute. But in no way is it more evident that Jesus has power over the forces of death than when Jesus himself encounters the forces of death. And he's led to Golgotha and he's hung on a cross. And Jesus, the Holy One of God, is, is killed. And he himself becomes a corpse, which makes him what? Unclean unclean to where perpetually right because dead people are stay dead 
<laughs> Pilate says, go make the tomb as secure as you can. Okay, you know. <laughs> Look at this, Matthew 27. And again, crying out in a loud voice, Jesus gave up his spirit, which the Holy Spirit, right? Holy. And behold, the curtain of the temple's torn, the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And then what happens, okay? Jesus dies. Jesus becomes an unclean corpse. What happens? The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the holy ones who had fallen asleep were raised. So just like in the, in the stories that we just read, when the forces of death touch Jesus, they don't transfer to him, right? Like... When he goes to the place of impurity of the corpses, people who had apparently become irreversibly impure in death were raised and therefore set on a path of purity to where they can approach God. Right? It's the same story. She touches his garment. Jesus dies and his power of life goes, and these people come out of the tombs. Wow. I mean, this is so cool, okay? Jesus, life-giving, I don't have a better word, it shoots out of him, I don't know. But when his body goes into the dirt, those guys come out. No longer ritually impure, but raised to life. I assume they ascend with him and approach the temple in heaven, I don't know, but... So cool, okay? Even in his death... He is raising those in the tombs to life and purity, and and he himself is being raised to approach his father in the heavens about 40 days after this. Anyway, your Bible is super weird, okay? But your Bible is super cool, and, and, and this is true. This is true. Jesus has power over the forces of death, okay? This is what, this is what he's doing, and so... Uh, I want to have the, the musicians come up, and, and I want to pray for us. I want to pray for uh, our, our, our faith, okay? Because she says, if I, if I just touch his garment, I will be healed. And so the question for, right, if you're just trying to do an easy application of the story, the question is, hey, are you going to reach out and touch his garment? Are, are you, you know, if Jesus is present and doing these things, will you reach out and, and touch these things? So if you'll stand, I want us to pray for, for faith. For, for trust and confidence in the work of Jesus and the power of Jesus and, and, and his, his sovereignty and rulership over the forces of death. Okay? And then, uh, during our corporate prayer today, uh, we're going to pray for uh, Joe, Joe's son. So, so Joe Kreger's son is uh, Joe Bain, which was named after an associate minister here back in the 80s or 70s yeah so, so joe bain has um uh really bad chronic pain in his jaw okay and if you've had chronic pain you know that's just like just won't go away just won't go away just won't go away and so what we're gonna do um you know we're gonna sing and, and worship the lord and get our eyes and hearts up at him uh and then joe's gonna come here uh we're gonna we're going to put him in the hot seat, all right? Put, uh, and, and we're going to gather and we're going to lay hands on Joe in place of Joe Bain, anoint him with oil, believing. Like, this is us touching the garment this morning, okay? Asking God to heal. And then, anyone else today who needs healing in your body specifically, because that's what Jesus did in this story, we want to lay hands on you and pray for you too, okay? 
So just grab me or any elder or a person next to you. And we want to pray for healing today. Today. Okay? Like, I know God's going to raise you from the dead. And you're going to get a body and, and raise Carl. I know that. But I want a deposit of that, a down payment of that um, today. So we're going to ask God for it. Okay? So I'm going to pray and, and we'll get to it. Father, we ask you um, for faith. God, we ask you for total confidence and trust um, in in Jesus as as the Messiah, as the son of David, who is compassionate, who feels God and and, and who has pain um, over the state of the world, over the state of our bodies, over what sin has wrought, and who has power over the forces of death. So God, would you answer our prayers today? As, as we seek you, God, as we worship you, as we ask and put our uh, hope and faith in you. In the name of Jesus, everyone said.